Welcome to the Go-To Market Mindset with Michael Gordon, where we talk about all things related to sales, business development, and personal growth. If it's about high performance, we want to take a deep dive into that. And to do that, we'll be talking with some of the sharpest minds in all the land. But don't get too comfortable because we're going to be getting you out of your comfort zone. The Go-To Market Mindset is brought to you by Sandler Training in Calabasas and me, Michael Gordon. We work with growth-minded companies that know sales is never about price and believe that salespeople have rights. For more information, visit gordon.sandler.com. Welcome to the Go-To Market Mindset. I am here with Taft Love, founder at Iceberg RevOps. Taft, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to have you on. So I know I, from a personal perspective, I'm really interested in, about hearing about RevOps. It, it's gaining a lot of legitimacy, but it's mm-hmm. at the same time, one of those things that people say, oh, is it a real thing? Or is it, oh, is yeah. it really just a glorified sales ops? So maybe you could help us out and kind of high level tell us what RevOps is or how people can think about conceptualize this idea. Yeah, that's a really great question. So I'll start out with RevOps is a little bit like AI. And what I mean by that is it means whatever the hell the person's saying it means. And so I I think there's a qualifier here is you you actually have to ask people like, what does your RevOps team do? Because I don't think we as a community have settled on what it means. However, I'll give you my personal definition, which is pretty high level and, and unlikely to get a lot of pushback from the community, which is a centralized operations function that helps eliminate the silos that have traditionally existed between sales operations, marketing operations, customer success operations, and traditional sort of systems and and other business operations. So it uh, it is an operations program that does not have loyalty to a specific revenue team and usually rolls up to the C level. Got it. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. That, that's big picture. Let's go small picture for a minute yeah. and then we'll kind of expand from there. So why is this, why is RevOps or even operations in general such a challenge for, for most small and mid-sized companies? Yeah. Let, let me give you two examples here. So, so this is true for all companies, um, not just small and mid-sized companies, but One problem is the fact that the way the world sells is changing. So for Sandler, like sales has actually not changed that much in in decades. Like Sandler, although it it has evolved with with, uh, over time, it has not had to adapt the way operations has to sort of a changing strategy. Once you get on a discovery call, your discovery call today is not much different than a discovery call was run 10 years ago. Operations, on the other hand, is the playing field has totally shifted. And, and what I mean by that is, you remember Glen Gary, there were the, the, the leads. There was a card that the sales team received that was a lead. And that came from marketing and sales didn't really need to know much about what marketing was doing. Sales received the leads and they go follow up with them. And that's how a lot of sales was done for all of history until recently. And now the distinction between sales and marketing is becoming blurred because of new strategies, because buyers are more informed, buyers interact with both marketing and sales often at the same time. The sales development rep or business development rep position is a great example of how like sales and marketing is, is now blended. And same with customer success. You, you look at a company like User Voice, which has BDRs that are maps to account managers because 
there. And so like a piece of the marketing team is now mapped to the, the account management. And what that means is your entire funnel, all of these functions are intertwined now, like marketing lives from top to bottom of the funnel. You don't stop marketing once you hand somebody off to sales. You're doing like account-based outreach at a lot of companies from the minute they visit your website until they've been a customer for years and you're trying to upsell them. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is for all companies, you really can't have the silos that have traditionally existed. You, you have to break them down because there is no like handoff that existed two decades ago. Does that does that make sense so far? It does, and that that's a great point. I think that answers or at least speaks to a lot of the the questions. In fact, you know, a few guests back, we had a a marketing guy that was one of those rare marketing people that said marketing answers to to sales. But I think that yeah. speaks to a lot of the, the the questions and challenges that we spoke about, and that people tend to ask these days. Do you know who do SDRs report to? And in some organizations. It's marketing and other market and other organizations at sales. So yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. And to speak specifically to small and medium-sized businesses, there's an extra level of, of complexity that that's added. And and so uh, I'll, I'll speak to icebergs specifically. Like there, we exist because of this problem. And especially if you're this is especially true if you're a tech company where you sort of are expected to scale quickly. You're you're expected to go from zero to sixty overnight, proverbially speaking. Um, you're going to graduate from founder selling to dedicated sales team to and marketing team and customer success team to dedicated revenue teams with dedicated leaders to then, you know, the rest of scaling. But, but what I just described, the sort of founder selling to dedicated leadership is an area where most companies ha need operational help because they're 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 doing more complex selling and marketing than the average small business because they're expected to grow quickly and scale ahead of their current revenue. They're spending more money than they're making and so they're they're scaling ahead of their of today's needs. And often they they can't afford or or can't justify the expense of a keyword qualified <laughs> revenue operations team. And so what you'll see and and any startup founders that listen to this will this will probably resonate um, or any sales leader who's come into startups and, and helped out, what, what that often means is people mistake sales ops or general operations or Salesforce administration for revenue operations. So they take, you know, Sarah, who graduated from a good college last year and is pretty good at Salesforce and say like, hey, you, you run ops now. You've been, you did a really good job adding some fields and helping us do some forecasts. So you, you do operations because we can't afford the the real thing yet and and what that is even if she's a really well qualified salesforce administrator you just hired a plumber to build your whole house and uh that that's a problem and so that's where small and medium-sized businesses often get the most trouble and if you have a junior person who doesn't have that strategic experience you're going to end up with somebody who who is uh, who has all these perverse incentives vp of sales uh, they just want what they want quickly and they don't know what they don't know. So when they come to Sarah and say like, Hey, go, uh, go build me a checkbox. And I want it to automatically be checked when these th three things happen and then build a report based on this checkbox. And Sarah, instead of saying, Hey, let's time out. What are you trying to accomplish? And let's, how, how are, are the upstream and downstream teams affected by this? Um, is it going to, is that checkbox going to talk to marketing or does customer success need to know about this? Instead, she says, like, you got it because, you know, you have a, a plumber 
building your house right. and a junior person who doesn't doesn't have that strategic experience. And that's where small and medium-sized companies often just have this really rocky road until you know the product sort of carries them to the next level and they get a B round and then they hire an in-house qualified team. That gap is where these companies just struggle mightily often for years. Okay, that, that makes a ton of sense. How much expertise does, as you say, a qualified RevOps person need in both sales and marketing? So it's an interesting question. You need, you need to understand both sales and marketing. You need to know sort of what are the overarching strategies? What are the, what are the basics of operations in these worlds? But I have, I have a point of view that, that some people might disagree with, some smart people might disagree with, but I think systems, uh, like basic systems, uh, modification and administration are commodities now. Um, I can go on Upwork and for $20 an hour, hire somebody in, you know, usually like South Asia, there are so, so many people in like India and Indonesia and, and places like that who are really highly qualified, affordable by American standards and available around the clock to build whatever you tell them to build. So I actually think knowing like the intricacies of how to set up Salesforce or HubSpot or Marketo or outreach or whatever systems you have um, is actually less important than the, I call it operations thinking, the, uh, the ability to hit pause, zoom out and understand where every ask fits in this greater roadmap, which is what most small, medium size, and occasionally large businesses completely skip. They, they spend so much time sort of patching little holes they find and never asking, how does this fit into the bigger picture? So the, the most important skill set is that, that strategic thinking. And it's actually, if you do that right, then finding people to build what you have decided is the appropriate thing to build is, is not actually all that hard. Got it. Got it. So let, let me just digress a little bit off topic yeah. or maybe go down a little bit further down the rabbit hole is... Sure. Is this one of those situations where somebody starts bad, they're building, speaking of a house analogy, if they, is that building a bad foundation that's going to come and cause them, cause them problems later on? Or is this something that can kind of be fixed, you know, midway through the build? Uh, yes to both. It is going to cause you problems. And a lot of companies, uh, a lot of companies end up mid build having to fix it. It's not always easy to do. And, and sometimes ripping off that bandaid can be a bit painful, but let me give you an example. Reporting is uh, at Iceberg, it's our most common ask. It's, it's actually where most of our projects start. And what happens is people who are not, you know, not because they're not smart, but because they just don't have this specific experience are completely unaware of why, but they just know I don't have the reports I need to run my business. Why can nobody tell me X metric? It, it, everybody else seems to know it. Why don't I know it? And you know, at other companies, I mean. And often it's, you know, a VP of sales who comes from a bigger company where they had a dedicated, highly qualified operations team feeding them the metrics they need to steer the proverbial ship. They switch to a small startup and they're like, well, why, how can, why can't I run my business? What the hell is going on? And so often that's because of, it's where the, the name iceberg came from. The idea that like you're reporting the, the things you're using to, to steer the ship are just the tip of the iceberg. And, um, and this speaks to like a lack of, of foundation or, or, you know, proper foundation that leads to this moment where they end up hiring us because they're like, I can't, I can't run my business. What do I, 
what do I need to do? And they think the problem is I need you to rebuild a report and we have to like walk them backwards to actually, we need to rebuild these five things that feed into the report. Because uh, if it's okay for me to digress a little further, um, reporting is uh, reporting is interesting. It is a, a really great uh, sort of proxy for how strong your, your operations are generally, because all reports are accurate. Every report you ever run is accurate, unless there's a bug in the system, because it is exactly what you're filtering for. But what people don't realize is few reports are trustworthy if you don't have the right infrastructure, because for a report to be trustworthy, it's got to have the right filters. It has to be built correctly in your little reporting suite, like in Salesforce. Below that, you have to have the right types of data being stored, because if you have a bunch of like non-pick list fields that are just all text, you're not going to actually be able to get good data from it. Um, and then below that, you have to have people doing what you ask them to do in those fields, like properly inputting data at the right time and, the, and, and in the right format. And then below that, what you're asking them to do has to be right. And if any one of these places is broken, you do not have a trustworthy report. And so all of those things I mentioned are sort of like the structure of operations generally. And RevOps is just like applying that structure to multiple teams and having it roll up to a single leader. Ah, so I'm still digesting the, the comment <laughs> that all reports are accurate because that's, uh, yeah. that, that's, that's deep and that's interesting because it makes a lot of sense. It's the report's accurate, but how good the, the inputs are is, really what makes kind of makes that make sense. Okay. Interesting. So let me ask this question, you know, what size or what stage would a company want to think about implementing some sort of RevOps program, whether that be through an outsourced group like you or someone in-house, what might be a trigger or what might be that moment for them when they say, Hey, we're, you know, we need to start thinking about this. Yeah. Uh, so it's a great question. I, I think the, uh, a better question might be, when do you need operations, period? Because you might not actually need revenue operations. If you have a clean handoff from marketing to sales and your marketing team is not doing account-based anything and you have like a marketing team that just does demand generation and then hands everything off to sales and they don't really interact with prospects down the rest of the funnel, which is true for some companies, you might not actually need RevOps. So um, that might be unnecessary complexity, but if you have a, uh, a marketing team that like needs to interact closely with, with sales and they share common goals, you, you might need RevOps. So, so that's the, the first thing is like, do you need RevOps? You need to answer that question um, versus sales ops, marketing ops and, and other distinctions, silos. And then like, when is it time? Um, I think when you reach a point where you realize your people throughout the business are unable to spend time doing their job because you're crowdsourcing operations, which every every smart startup is gonna is gonna hit this point. So I actually had a T-shirt made a couple of years ago that was like iceberg, something to the effect of iceberg, so you can get back to. And then there was this like pick list, sales, <laughs> marketing, whatever. And it's like choose the thing you do because you're probably not spending much time on that today. And so that it's a subjective kind of a soft answer, but like if you're in it, you know it. If you're the okay. CEO who's like, Jesus, I, I need to go build these other reports and oh man, you know, 
I just noticed I built this report. And none of the AEs are, are filling in this field that I told them to fill in. And I guess I need to go Google how to, how to build a validation rule in Salesforce. And when you're just like chasing these little tactical gremlins all day long, sure, uh, it's probably time. Okay. That, that makes sense. And I, well, I'll leave the getting AEs to fill in information in, in CRM is another thing because that's a whole other conversation. But um, yeah, <laughs> we're in sales and we know that we're always asking what is, you know, the prospect wants to know what's in it for me. So if we were to look at yeah. sales leaders, marketing leaders, or even the individual contributor, account executives, what is the answer to the question, what's in it for me? What can they expect out of, you know, either cooperating with the things that they're being asked or, you know, advocating for RevOps in their company, what, what kinds of things does it do for them or what does it mean for them personally? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So it's really easy to answer at the top. I think of, uh, I think of iceberg, I think of rev ops teams and, and even non revenue operations ops teams uh, at the top level. I view their job as uh, building the compass that allows the leadership team to steer the ship because back to the reporting analogy, if your reports are all trustworthy, then the underlying sort of foundational operations are probably running pretty smoothly. Uh, you know, if they have all the data they need and it's trustworthy to run the business, then that's what's in it for them. And like how many how many CEOs out there like have no idea how things are going and uh, we we often get hired after really bad board meetings where a CEO <laughs> was dressed down because <laughs> their Salesforce administrator put together a slide that they because it took them a week and a half to prep the data for this board meeting, they didn't even have time to double check and notice that like what a board member told them in mid meeting, which is like, well, if your win rate is that, why is this number three times what it should be? You actually know your numbers and and like any anybody who's been to a handful of board meetings probably uh, that, that may give uh, trigger some PTSD, but. Um, <laughs> So that's what's in it at the top level, you know, the, sure. the ability to just like not run your business by feel, which at some point you got to graduate to that. At the next level, at the leadership level, it's, it's pretty similar, but more specifically, it also allows you to understand like what's working, what's not working in your business back to sort of visibility. Um, if I'm a VP of sales, like there are some really basic questions that at most businesses, I just can't answer. How much of my pipeline has shifted this month, like how much my pipeline got kicked in the next month? I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I kind of know, but yesterday I had 1.2 million and today I have 1.1 million. What happened to hundred grand in pipeline? I, I don't know how to even find that out. And, you know, I have 10 BDRs all doing outbound. I will, I don't have a funnel for them. I know how many meetings they set, but how many companies did they approach last week? I don't know. Um, and so, uh, you know, for, for that level and marketing, similarly, I spent 150 grand on Google AdWords last month. I can like sort of see what happened. I can see how many leads it created, but down the rest of the funnel, how did it play out? And is sales actually like following up with all of them? Like a lot of VPs of marketing are, are stressed out about that very question. Like, guys, we sent you 140 leads last month. I can't run a report and tell you whether you even called them all or how many times you called them all or how many of them are qualified or disqualified or unqualified. And, and of the unqualified, why are there patterns here? I, I need some pattern matching to understand how to fix top of funnel. So that's what sort of that mid-level gets. 
and then users uh users who who are like strong self-advocates they get a system that works for them and you know if i'm a salesperson some of our happiest clients are happy because their sales team works closely with us and we build them the processes they want to do their job things like you know hey i feel like it's a I, i'm taking a trip to the dmv every time i close an opportunity it sucks how can you have so many things i need to do and every time <laughs> i hit save i have to chase the little red text all over the screen to fill in these things and i don't even know why we fill them in do we even use them anymore and so you know, what you... that was a that was a flashback to a, a, a lifetime <laughs> intact yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we sort of like pitch and, and you don't have to hire us to do this, like talk to your ops team or your consultant, whoever you use about this, like building button driven processes, getting rid of uh, validation rules and building processes where like you're guided through the process of closing an op or filling out the onboarding uh, report that goes to, to customer success. Having somebody who can like sit with you, map out your whole process, do a gap analysis and circle in red the things that really suck is hugely valuable. And if you're a rep, um, I don't think reps actually understand the, the power and influence they have over the org, um, especially when, when they're not like the senior prima donna reps, but like the other 90% of reps probably don't actually understand the power they have to change this if they're, you know, strong advocates and, and the squeaky wheel. Interesting. So in your experience, you're saying the rest of the 90% of the team can't have some influence on this? <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't have to be like the prima donna that, that closes all the deals and, and is a pain in everyone's ass to like get some help. I think you just have to be, be specific about your ask. I was one of the 90%. I was like a, as a PDR and an AE, I, I was a, mid to high level performer. I was never like the best one on the team that was closing all the biggest deals and got all the attention. And I had no idea until I became a VP of sales later and, and, you know, had reps and had people from, from all, you know, all, all across the spectrum. Did I understand that like, actually these, these other 90% have a lot of influence too. And I want to make them happy too. And I don't just care about Jimmy, the one that, you know, closed the big deal last month and is now demanding that everything be built the way he wants. The other people are have a lot of power too. Yeah, that, I think you fill in a lot of gaps for me personally. I hope, you know, hopefully this is helpful for the other people out there. And I, I got to think it will be. And I know you said earlier that that RevOps should report to the C-level. Where, where is that or who is that specifically? And I don't know, maybe there's not one answer, but if you were to say typically, here's who the RevOps team should be reporting to, what does that look like? Or what could that look like? one level above the distinction between sales, marketing, and customer success. So maybe that's a CRO, maybe that's a CEO, maybe it's a, maybe it's operations. Um, occasionally it's finance, but one problem with having them roll up into finance is you actually want the people who run operations to care about, to care like deeply and personally about the success of the revenue team. And of course finance does, but they do in a different way. I think you just have to go one level above because any operations team that is owned by a, a specific arm of sort of the revenue function, you're creating incentives, whether you mean to or not, that are that are not ideal. If uh, if operations ultimately rolls up into sales, you're probably creating incentive, whether whether the leader acts on it or not. You're you're creating an incentive for the ops team to make sales happy, for you know sales to demand things that, that benefit them. 
a perfect example here is uh, if sales owns operations, which happens in a lot of places, and then like sort of sub customers are marketing and, and customer success, which happens in a lot of places, like sales ops is the primary ops team, but like they do some marketing work and they do some, some success work. One place where you're often going to run into issues is, and this will resonate with a lot of founders, I think, sales will never have enough pipeline, even if, and then you're always going to wonder, do they actually not have enough pipeline or are they cherry picking, but because they own the operations team that defines pipeline and measures pipeline and is the is the tiebreaker when there's subjectivity like they clearly have an incentive to not accept much into pipeline and and only accept the things they're most likely to win if you're a sales leader who is willing which some are some are and i not not that all sales leaders are bad i'm i'm one and i try very much not to do this but if you're a sales leader and your get out of jail free card in every board meeting is hey i don't have enough pipeline look at my win rate it's awesome. So the problem is not my team. The problem is we don't have enough pipeline. You need to get us more pipeline. And if they control the denominator of that number, if they actually control what is defined as pipeline, then then they're in a position where like they, you know, you're you're letting the robber into the bank potentially. And again, not all sales leaders would do this. And and it's not even an issue of honesty, honesty so much as like incentives. I think a lot of people do this without even putting together that they're doing it, which is uh, the problem with, with allowing a sales leader. And sometimes marketing, you may have a company that's more marketing driven and operations rolls up into marketing and guess what? They're going to get, uh, the sales team is going to have everything, every lead sent to them considered pipeline and they're going to have a shitty win rate. And the leadership is not really going to understand why sales can't perform, even if sales really is actually performing pretty well, but the ops team is is run by marketing and they have a strong incentive to count everything as pipeline. Andrew, wow. I, a lot of things there that I never thought about and I probably wouldn't even know to think about or ask if that's super insightful. So when you're talking about measuring and accountability, what are some of the measurable objectives or what are some of the things that leaders or CEOs or whoever it is would want to hold a RevOps team accountable for or accountable to? There are two things I like here, and uh, one is revenue. They're part of the revenue program. They should be held accountable to revenue. The, the problem with, with holding an ops team accountable to revenue is it is, in almost every situation, widely disconnected from their activities. So helping create a better process for an SDR to request you know, enrichment of an account is so far disconnected from the ultimate goal of, of getting more revenue that uh, that doesn't necessarily like drive an ops team's behavior day to day. So you want to couple that with something that's sort of more immediately impactful and immediately measurable for, uh, for operations. So I like something else like number of tickets, uh, ticket response time. If, if you think of them as, as partially like a support uh, apparatus for your revenue teams, then like measure them on their, on whatever is important to you. Um, and it is. Yeah. Let me, uh, sorry, let me pause you for one second. So yeah. what would be an example of a, of a ticket or the support ticket that you were mentioning? Yeah. So let's assume as most companies should that your rev ops team or your operations team generally 
is responsible for not just like uh, or as part of building the uh, the sort of top level visibility for leadership, you also want to make it so that you smooth out processes for the various teams. So you want to make it easy next time the marketing team goes to an event to uh, quickly upload a list and have those leads automatically routed to the salespeople if they meet whatever qualification you have defined as an MQL and then make it easy for the sales team to follow up on those leads and make it easy for the handoff to your account management team. Like that's sort of your whole funnel starting with this imaginary, you know, uh, event that they attended. A poorly built system is going to yield lots of problems, right? Marketing doesn't know how to do an upload and they do the upload and then a bunch of things break and that breakage ends up flowing downstream because the attribution doesn't work. And then sales doesn't know where all these leads came from. And that's going to yield a bunch of tickets along the way, right? If you, assuming you have a ticketing system, which for this hypothetical measurement, you have to have. And uh, like we build a ticketing system for every single client we bring on. And so they have a web page they go to where they just type in what's wrong, hit send, and it ends up in our Asana instance, and we follow up. And so if you have an internal ops team or a consultant, you should probably insist on having some sort of ticketing system and the ability to measure and see how many tickets are coming in. Because in theory, tickets that are tagged as like something is broken or something like that is, is essentially a ding against your uh, operations team anytime they have built the process underlying this, uh, this ticket. And so like a smoothly operating funnel is what you want from them, then have uh, then set up as, as you know, key results, fewer tickets and faster response time on those tickets. And you're probably gonna get what you want out of your operations team because the upstream of that that must happen is good user testing, good documentation, building processes that actually fit what the team needs to do. And um, so that tied with revenue, I think are, are two things I like to measure. Um, there are a million opinions out there uh, on this, but the biggest thing is make sure it's tied to something that that team can actually control. At least one of the KRs is tied to something that team like directly controls. Interesting. Ticketing. I, I... I wouldn't have thought, but I think you make a strong point for that. Let me, we'll wrap up by asking the question I always like to ask people, what's one belief that you might challenge people out there to, to think about or think differently as you know, they go about their, their normal operations or as they start to think about how you know, RevOps might play into their business? This is one that's changing, but it's not changing fast enough. If you think of operations as a cost center, you're doing it wrong within your revenue teams, whether it's sales ops, marketing ops, rev ops, whatever. If you think of it as a cost center, you're wrong. And so uh, think, finding ways to you know, get operations done inexpensively versus focusing on quality is a great way to just like make sure you build a really rickety setup. You're going to delay revenue growth by making your individual contributors work harder to do basic things. You're going to delay revenue growth by making it really hard for your strategic uh, strategic resources to focus on strategy. And so um, don't hire a plumber to build your house. And even if you can't afford a construction crew, we're not the only game in town. So this is not just like an iceberg commercial. Uh, find somebody who understands operation strategy and work with them and invest with in them early and it will pay off because it's not a cost. Man, that was poetic. That was poetic. <laughs> so I know you said this wasn't a commercial, 
But Taft, I appreciate you being on. I, if anyone else, you know, is thinking, wow, there's a lot of blind spots out there in revenue operations. You're probably not alone. Taft, again, thanks for being on the show. Taft Love, uh, founder of Iceberg RevOps. And Taft, if you don't mind, tell, we'll post your information, but tell the folks out there yeah. how they can get in touch with you if they want to have a conversation. Yeah, uh, reach out to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, I'm Taft at icebergops.com. Go to icebergops.com, fill out a form. We'll we'll get in touch with you. Yeah, re reach out to me directly. And I'd also love to hear uh, what people are struggling with. One of the things we do when, when we sort of engage with companies is like, I, as I've been saying, like not focusing on tactical, we do a roadmap session. So like, what are you, what are you trying to achieve? And we'll tell you if we can't help you. Sometimes the answer is like, you don't need us yet, or you need to hire an in-house team, but, but we'll help guide you to that decision. This has been incredibly enlightening for me. I hope everybody else out there got as much value out of it. So thank you again for being on. And I'm looking forward to hearing what the feedback we get from this, because I got to imagine this is, problems for a lot of companies out there. Yeah. Hey, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for joining us here. Thanks for listening. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. To find out more about how we work with companies to help them grow sales more profitably and predictably, please check out gordon.sandler.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.